0: All right, so what we're going to do is wrap everything together. This is going to be tactical, but real. All right, so I want to start with um, Dot So Dot is an amazing. Dot Loop is owned by Zillow, which is just fascinating to know. But they, we've done a lot of research, checked out all the platforms, and Dot Loop is just, it just works for us. It's our, our file storage, and our electronic signature platform. It's so fantastic. Angelique and her team have made it really simple. We hired agents from other companies that have said, "We hate Dot Loop; it's too complicated." And then we show them how ours work. They, "Oh, wow, this is really good." So, what you're going to do when you start out, and we're going to start on listings today, is you choose a template. So I'm going to mouse over templates, and then I'm going to choose: Do I want a contract? Do I want a listing? Do I want a rental? Um, do I want to go with MLS Clear Cooperation Policy? go uh, on home partners information. So all these things are lumped into little groups. And like any good contract, uh, good company, you know, we've got some parameters that we want to make sure you follow so we deliver a good experience. And certain forms are required and certain forms are suggested. And then certain forms are, are not relevant most of the time. So what we did is in our listing documents, We put all of the mostly used forms on a listings transaction, right? Not all of them are relevant to you, but we try to make the ones that are going to be responsible. There are some tips and tricks. This 11 questions to ask your realtor is designed to leave behind on your preview because you can answer yes to all these questions. So this is also when Jeff went through the process and we deliver a pre-listing package, this is your pre-listing package. It's already made for you. And when you add this to a, a loop and you fill out the template, it's gonna automatically auto-fill Bob and Judy Smith, one, two, three, and he's field on every form that has the need for that. So we'll get into training on it. I just wanna show you the concept. So this is your pre-listing package. So I would say, yes, I wanna include that in my pre-listing package. Because yeah, when our when Jeff went through the pre-qual listing pr- process, we send over a package of information in full disclosure to make sure they know what, so they have time to read it. And honestly, it's because we don't want to spend our time reading it to them. Let them read in advance. Your C's are going to read it. Your D's are not because they're going to trust you no matter what. Um, commercial listing form. Eh, it's not a commercial, so I'm not going to check that one. Home warranty disclosure. Yeah, I need to have that. That's a company requirement. Um, Do I want an income MLS listing? No, it's not an income property. Do I want a listing agreement? Yes. Do I want a listing deal sheet? Yes. Do I want a listing intake form? That's what we're going to train on. So I would not usually send that to the seller. Um, Rental MLS? No. Residential MLS data input form? Yeah, I probably want that. Seller's estimated net sheet? Yeah, I probably want that. Seller's property disclosure? Yeah, I want that. Uh, oh, is that a not, they don't occupy the home? I could use a different disclosure. No, they occupy the home. Uh, is it a short sale? Do they're going to waive their right to talk to an attorney? Um, do I include the, the spa visual? Remember Jeff talked the, the wallet, the dart, and the five? That's the visual for that. Um, uh, MLS authorization to temporarily hold off market. You know, we have to have a listing put into the MLS within 48 hours of getting it. And if it doesn't, there's a fine. So we need to get a temp, we need the seller to sign off that we are gonna hold it off the MLS for a period of time. And then you're not allowed to market it in any way, public shape or form until it hits the MLS. And then a vacant land MLS. So you've got the concept. So this is a, instead of having to go in the old days, we had a forms bin and every bin had a form in it. We had a label and it said listing agreement this, and we'd have to go to the form bin and pull out the form that we wanted and then inevitably some of you would take the last form and there wouldn't be one there when we needed it. So that's all we did, this is our forms bin and we just created what we need for our listing agreement and then we'll auto-populate it. So just a little quick look at dot loop and how it works and this is what you need. Now, it would be prudent if you're gonna get this listing to, if it's in an HOA, add the HOA disclosure. But you're gonna find those down here under Florida Interactive Forms. That's all the FAR forms. So anything to do with the contract, or it'll be up here under contracts and addendum, um, or all documents. So there's many places you can find it, but you might want to add a CDD, you might want to add an HOA, you might want to add a uh, lead-based paint, whatever other addendums you know are going to be necessary, you'd want to add to your loop here as well.
1: Wire fraud too. Say that again? The wire fraud addendum.
0: Always wire fraud addendum. Here. Yeah, those are just real important conversations to have. Alright, so what we're going to do, Kat, is we're going to dive into the listing intake form and I'll let you start off. Tell them why this form was created. Do you remember? Uh,
1: For a couple of reasons. To keep organization of all the information pertaining to that particular listing and so that we have the details written out as opposed to just thinking that we have them all in our head and we can walk around with it. Uh, In the old days we used to scribble all that stuff on the front of a file or we'd have a form inside of a jacket of a file. And today, since we're virtual, which makes us so tech savvy and makes things so much more efficient, you want to make sure you have all this information in here ahead of time. That way, if you're missing something, you can automatically see what you're missing and why.
0: Well, actually, the the reason this form was designed is because we have a program called Personalized Systems Program. And the idea was that, you know, I've got a saying that either you have an assistant or you are the assistant.
1: Correct, the PA, right. absolutely. So your
0: PA is your assistant. Yes. But I can't d- download my head and say, go create a loop for me, Mm-mm. right? That's right. So I created the listing intake form for the agent to quickly identify what needs to be filled in so the PA can create the package form, because I'd rather the PA create the loop, add me to the team, now it's in my loop, and I, it's already done. I don't have to do anything with it. So that's kind of the concept and how I'm gonna teach you to do a listing package and in dot .loop. Because if you if you gave this intake form to your assistant, they could do it for you. And if you don't have an assistant, then you can do it for you. But everything that's necessary is in one page where the listing package itself is gonna have numerous, numerous, numerous documents that are all gonna to have to be filled out and the address on every line and that people's names on every page. And it's a it's just a lot more to do manually. But now that we've got the technology behind us, it's a lot easier. Um, so who's taking your photos? Are you got go one?
1: Sure. That would either be Shannon or any of the photographers that are in our area. So you would click that box. If it's Shannon, who is absolutely outstanding, does beautiful work. The sign box here, which would be whether or not this property would or would not have a sign, like a condominium, most often would not. HOAs. Some of them you have to order a special sign and so forth. So those just a few of the boxes that you would check. Uh, let me see where I can see this. Then you would have your seller's name, email, phone number. And if there's two sellers, same thing. The next line, same thing. Listing Why is the
0: email address important?
1: Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you need to be able to communicate with your sellers. And number two, you need a dedicated email for each one of your sellers because that, that helps it keep it clean as far as encryption. Uh, with the program that we use with Dot Loop, when I started in the business, we had transaction desk, and you could use the same email for all your sellers and all and so forth. And then we graduated to Form Simplicity, and now with Dot Loop, it's much more specific, and you're able to give a password if need be for that email. So it's really for security of your sellers, keep keep it all uh, straight and secure.
0: And so your assistant can create the e electronic signature. Correct. Because they can't sign W No letters.
1: Correct. Yeah. Yep. That's correct.
0: And then jumping in here. So this is all we need to know to fill out a listing agreement. Now the listing agreement itself, which we'll look at, I want to say it's seven or eight pages long. And it's got a bunch of stuff in it that is relevant when it's relevant, but for the most part, our transactions go really smooth. But if there is a problem, we can research it. So I want you to read diligently read the listing agreement. But I think this is going to tell you um, what you need to know, right? This is the stuff to sweat over. Everything else is boilerplate that's covered by FAR if you need it. Property address, blah, blah, blah. City, state, zip. Listing start date, listing end date. Guys, how long do we take listings for? Six months. Why? Because it's a standard. Can we do it for three? Yes. Should we? No. Right. Will we make exceptions? Yes. But why? What happens? Get a six month listing. If it sells in a week, it's sold in a week. And so this is you making standards. This is how I run my business. Because not every in a hot market like this, some houses don't sell right away. And we are committing time and energy to get these things done. We want a fair chance to get it sold. Um, Kat, you want to talk about included and excluded items?
1: Sure. Included items, you know, you're going to be looking at the appliances, you're going to be looking at the MLS sheet to see what's in there that's included, Uh, when you're on the buyer side that is, I misspoke, Uh, when you're on the seller side, you're going to be looking to see, you know, washers, dryers, refrigerators range, and so forth. Excluded items are very important because with the Far Bar contract, curtain rods, uh, window treatments. Those items are automatically included along with whatever's on the premises. So you need to have a discussion with your seller. Hey, are you going to leave that chandelier from Aunt Jean, Or we're going to take it down and put up another fixture before we list and so forth. So all those items, you want to make sure you have that conversation with the seller up front.
0: I was wrong. It's five pages. It's what? It's five pages.
1: Five pages. Oh, wet noodle.
0: (laughs) Oh everything ties together and it's important so i always say this in this class there's three different contracts we're dealing with contract one is the listing agreement between the seller and the brokerage company not you right that's florida chapter 475 the seller lists with the brokerage company and that's our agreement to get paid when we do the job for this contract then there's a purchase and sale contract between the buyer and the seller and they're the only two parties involved in that contract And then there's an MLS agreement where our MLS is a um, universal offer of compensation. So that's where we, as a brokerage company, make a promise to our fellow cooperating brokers that if they bring a buyer who's ready, willing, able to buy our listing, that they'll get paid, right? right. So this contract says between the seller and the broker, I'm including the pool heater and the pool equipment and the um, standalone generator and excluding the dining room chandelier that's an agreement between us and the seller now when the buyer comes along and writes an offer on the seller's house we have to be diligent to make sure that that offer does not include or does include what the seller wants it to include and does not include what the seller does not and just some verbiage the mls is deemed reliable but not guaranteed. So even if a good listing agent put in the MLS under bro- uh, broker remarks, um, Mant Millie's chandelier does not convey, that's an agreement between us and the fellow brokers. The contract, if it, if it says chandelier, then it's attached, it's going because it defines what's included. That's right. Right.
1: We have to be very careful with those sections.
0: That's the mistake.
1: Our PAs, we should let them know too. Put little notations in there. That's the critical portion of this uh, format.
0: I'm yeah, sure that's the whole idea.
1: Whole so board. you
0: could literally have this piece of paper with you at the house. Sit down with the seller. Let me take some notes so I can prepare this package. Boom, 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 boom. Go to Dot Loop. Fill it out. have a whole package done in probably less than four or five minutes. Correct. Listing price. That'll be determined. Cattle company name. If we can get our title company, Paramount Title, you met them this morning, please do. We're also going to need the title company. Ad- we don't need all this on this. Somebody read to this form. We don't need the title company information on the listing in cake form. Is the seller offering closing costs? That's a line in the listing agreement itself. And I want to explain that for a second. Paragraph eight. There are times, well, let me say this. Most of the time, the commission is not an issue, right? You're gonna think as a newer agent that the seller always wants a discount. Most of the time, they don't. I would say, Kat, back me up on this, 80% of the time, correct,
1: Correct. everybody
0: expects to pay a full commission, right? Absolutely. I want you to remember- that's,
1: That's where it gets a little touchy. What's that? Sometimes investors are the ones that want to uh, come down on your commissions and things like that. But if you show them what your value is and your worth, it's so important to, to really demonstrate with the tools that we have, have your iPad out, show, you know, give them a presentation in addition to giving them the presentation before you even get to the door of what we offer, you're gonna overcome those objections. I would say 90% of the time, you're not gonna have that issue.
0: Yeah, well, the commission is really a reward, right? For a job well done. So, and a commission is used to incentivize people to buy things. So think about like a new home builder. When times are busy, are they paying high commissions? No, but when sales slow down and they want help, what do they do? They add incentives. So we're the same way. All we are is a marketing company and the commission we offer a cooperating broker is a marketing incentive and we can incentivize them or disincentivize them from buying our listing. So it's foolish, in my opinion, for a seller to pay a cooperating broker less. And it's foolish, in my opinion, for you to accept less than a 3% listing commission because of all the value we bring. So our value is non-negotiable, 3% or more if we can get it. And paying cooperate prevailing rate in the marketplace, most listings are offering 3%. So your seller coming in and offering two and a half or two is not making him as attractive, and the other agents are going to want to show it as much. And that is the truth. Agreed. Uh, okay, so then closing costs is where I left off. A lot of builders, depending on your situation and your competition, if you're selling a, a two-year-old home in a Lennar neighborhood where Lennar is still building, and Lennar is selling the house for 280, and you list your house for 280, they're not even is paying incentives on commissions so agents show them more. is paying closing costs on the buyers. So you can, and that's why the lines in the listing agreement, is the seller offering closing costs, right? Because, and this is important, the listing agreement spells out the terms by which the seller has to pay us a commission if our offer meets these terms. So let's use my 280 example. We list the house for 280, Um Cobalt Banker brings us an offer at 280 with three percent closing costs. Did we meet the terms of the listing agreement? No, because the seller wasn't agreeing to pay closing costs. So that's not an we haven't earned our commission yet. But if we had said seller is offering closing costs the amount of three percent, and then we got a two eighty with a three percent, our commission would be earned. Not payable until closing, but earned. Right? Can
1: we jump in for one second? And that's where it's really important during the listing presentation when you do your subject property analysis, your SPA, to indicate to that far right-hand column all the competition's advantages, disadvantages, and so forth. I always, always would put in the seller's closing cost that was given on the property area, type a loan that it closed on, so that when the seller gets an offer, and they're asking for 3% closing costs, they're not in shock when they see it. It's so important to do that up front in your listing presentation.
0: Yes. And nowadays, buyers wanna finance in as much as they can because interest rates are so low. It makes no sense to make if you, you don't have to. Then we gotta say, what's the listing broker commission? That'll be 3% or more. Selling broker should be 3% or more. Is the property currently leased? When is the lease up? That's important, because I think everybody asks this question at some point or another. If the house is leased and I buy it, does the lease go with the property or or does the lease end?
1: And those are all details that have to be worked out up front at the listing agreement. Uh, If it's month to month, we let them know it's month to month. If it's a six month lease that's out there and the seller is not willing to help with maybe some costs to help the tenant relocate sooner than that, then we're going to have a problem if we don't work that out up front.
0: My mom had a customer last year who's listing sat on the market. Sat it was like seven seven eighty five. Sat on the market. Sat on the market. I got involved with. Them. I said, "Dude, it's just it's not working. Just put a tenant in there." We put a tenant in there for four thousand bucks a month. Not too bad. Um, covered all his costs. Sorry. Um, seller called me last week. Hey, the lease is up October thirty first. What should we do? And we talked about the market, and now we're going to put it back on the market at 8:50, which is a lot better than 7:85. But I said we're not going to. We're going to wait. The lease is not up till 10:31. Let's have conversation with the tenant, make sure they're going to leave peacefully, and we'll we'll start doing virtual showings the month before, so we'll put it on the market in September. So That's just- a great
1: idea. Uh, just to jump in for a second, I had one like that in Water Set last year. You probably remember that one, where the uh, husband had passed away from cancer it was very very sad and the house was well worth the price that it was listed at but there was just not enough uh incentive out there for our six bedroom four bed four bath house in Waterset on the lake for the price point that we wanted it so we ended up getting a tenant that not only pays really good rent but double the rent because that's the location they wanted they wanted the schools and that lease will be coming up at the end of the year and more than likely we're going to be negotiating a sale on that. So that helped my, my seller tremendously because she really needed that income.
0: Then the listing agreement asked what type of financing is acceptable to the seller. And once again, in the true essence of the listing agreement itself, which is the seller's terms by which an offer will be, or a commission will be earned. Check all these, check conventional, FHA, VA, cash, check them all because if that 280 offer comes in VA and the seller said, I don't I don't want a VA offer, then we didn't earn our commission, right? So these are just conversations to have. Home warranty to be offered to the buyer. I'm gonna talk for less than a minute on this. We have a relationship with Global Home USA Warranty. They're fantastic. Um, their coverage is awesome and they're insured. Um, part of their program is if the seller agrees To provide a home warranty to the buyer, the seller will get coverage for the six months of the listing agreement for free, only to be paid if they make a claim. If they make a claim, they pay the $75 policy fee, they pay the deductible, and then the claim is fixed. But they have to agree to buy a warranty for the buyer. I highly recommend this happens. Jeff mentioned earlier the certified pre-loved home, right? You put the home for sale with you get the home inspected, you identify all the problems with it, you either fix them, get a price for them and disclose them. Either one of those two is fine. We just want full disclosure to the buyer. It's going to raise their confidence level and then you back it up with a home warranty. That's a really good way to demonstrate value to a buyer to make one house look better than another. Right. Oh my gosh, the seller had a home inspected they found all these things and they fixed all these things and they're going to give me a warranty for a year. This is great. Right. I love it. I don't see any reason not to do that. Um, any addenda have- remember talking to my assistant. Do I have any addenda to be included here? Yes. It's got any CDD HOA lead based paint, whatever it is. Additional items we want to mention. Um, who's paying the transaction fee and how did you get this lead just for information? Cause this we'll fill out what's called our deal sheet. Did you want to say something else on this, Kat? I'm sorry.
1: No, you're fine. Oh, you're fine. Well, I was going to say um, home say enough good about this you're, You want in a market mark, mark, local cold, cold, he's wearing a hotter market. Mark. The confidence, confidence. real house are, are up and above it's the big time.
0: Yes. Okay, so once again, this was designed, you're at Starbucks, and you know all these things. You write it out, you take a picture of your phone, you email it to your PA assistant, and they go and create your loop with all this information in it, and then it's ready for you to forward to share with your seller. Is that cool? So now let's look actually at the listing agreement. If a customer gets 100% financing, does that mean the seller, the closing costs can also be financed? Yes, if it appraises. And is it the only amount that needs to be collected is the escrow deposit? Yes. Yeah. So take a VA loan. Typically, you know, we'll take a $500 deposit or $1,000 deposit on a VA contract. And if the VA seller, if the seller is paying closing costs, the litter, the customer no will get money back at closing. But once again, it has to appraise. Okay. So now we have a listing agreement. And that detail, that's all the stuff you need to know. And this is just where it goes. And then it fills in all the addendas and stuff for you too. So this is just uh, the term starting and ending on street, out of legal description, all the stuff we said just on one sheet of paper to make it really easy for you and less scary to fill out. Um, so seller's obligation, let me explain some of this to you because your sellers might ask you what this means. We took the liberty to, well, let's see, broker authority. Seller authorizes broker to market the property to the public unless limited in paragraph 6B1 below, right? That's a new change. The National Association of Realtors created um, the clear cooperation policy and it went into effect nationwide a month or two ago. And, and the reason they did it is because a lot of brokers we're taking listings as um, pocket listings and not sharing them on the mls and part of nar's goal is to have fairness amongst their realtors so here's the challenge kathleen has a buyer who's hot for a house in my neighborhood i get a listing in my neighborhood and i put my sign up but i don't put it in the mls her buyers drive by call cat and say, Hey, I want to see that new listing with Craig's sign on it. And cat goes to the MLS and says, it's not there. And then cat calls my office and they say, sorry, that one's not for showing right now. And then the buyer calls me direct and says, Hey, I see your listing. I really want to see it. I say, sure. Come on in. And then I show them the house and I buy it. I settle to them. Even though it was cat's customer and that was happening and becoming a rampant in the marketplace. So that's not allowed to happen. Now there's no public marketing allowed and it's a $2,500 fine if you get caught doing it. So when they made that change, they changed the listing agreement and they added paragraph 6B where a seller can authorize the broker not to put it on the MLS. Why? I have no idea because we can't restrict them from doing that. Seller acknowledges that if that is checked, a for sale sign will not be placed on the property and seller understands the broker will be limited to the marketing of property to agents within the broker's office only. So it's not going to go in the competitive bidding environment. So let me give you some more Craigisms on this one. The MLS creates a competitive bidding environment, right? Here's how it works. Cat, you've got buyers on MLS searches. It's amazing the technology that's out there. I get a new listing. It goes on the MLS. What does the MLS automatically do? Notify everybody, all of Cat's customers. All of my customers, all of every other agent's customers that are on a search for a house in 33572 between 350 and 500 are going to get pinged that there's a new listing. Right. So all the buyers and all the buyers agents that are looking for houses like this, the activity in the beginning is the fastest. All right. And that creates demand. And when you get lots of demand at one time, it creates a competitive bidding environment and the price goes up. And that's why it's so important that you never get a second chance to make a first impression, that your photographs are spit, polished and shined, they're well organized, your descriptions are V-A-K and D-I-S-C considerate. I mean, this is it, this is showtime. So a lot of the practices we're doing now is when we get a listing, we're also getting a waiver of MLS entry. So we have time to fix up the house, redo the mulch, make everything spit, polished and shine for that first impression, okay? any other okay so that's what this stuff here is then it goes into um we pre-checked for you because i just like to do it use a lockbox system to show yes we need permission to use a lockbox and most of the time we use a lockbox so we pre-check that that would have to be undone if you didn't want to withhold verbal offers as a check i just remember when i used to be an agent and i would hate a would say, well will the t- seller take 260 that's called a verbal offer Verbal offers are valid, but they're not enforceable. And 260 is only one line on the contract. It also depends on the earnest money. It depends on the closing date. It depends on the type of finance that they're getting. It depends on all kinds of other things that we don't know. So, but as an agent, you're required to present all offers. That's one of the requirements under agency. An agent must present all offers. A verbal offer is valid, but not not enforceable. So our seller is instructing fraud. us. Yeah. I'm sorry.
1: And because of the statute of frauds and getting it to be enforceable, in the courts is next to impossible. And that's why we don't like and we don't okay. want verbal offers. Get it in writing, get it in contract.
0: But we have to present all offers and a verbal offer is, a, is an offer. Correct. So now our seller has instructed us not to present verbal offers. Yeah,
1: so, I, I like that. Yeah. As a lawyer, I hate verbals.
0: Virtual office websites, a person in Kentucky can put up a website with Florida housing information on it, scrape our listings, and advertise it to the public, and then get leads and send them to us for referral referral. And if we want that to happen, oh, and when they do that, we're happy to take the referrals. A lot of those virtual office websites, Create an automated estimate of market value, which then is a stigma to the property because it may or may not be accurate. And it also, some of those virtual office websites allow the consumers to comment on the condition of the properties, which some people are not kind. So if you don't, unless you want specifically somebody to say the house smells like dog piss and um, the, a stupid low value show us up on a, as an AVM, we don't recommend you check these boxes, so we left them unchecked. Right, so that's the reason behind that. And then the seller's obligation is to help us cooperate with less in carrying out the purpose of the agreement. Recognize the broker may be subject to MLS obligations and potential penalties for failure to comply with them. That's part about public marketing. Provide broker with keys to the property, inform the broker before leasing, mortgaging, or otherwise encumbering the property, and then indemnify broker and hold broker harmless from losses. This is important. We have to have conversations with our customers. You know, you don't leave your Rolex sitting on the nightstand table in the bed when the house is being shown at 10 in the morning, right? There's, there's certain things you just don't do. So you have to have conversations on things like that. But this would indemnify us if they did do that. Um, right here, the seller is obligated to make all legally required disclosures, including the facts that materially affect the property's value and are not readily observable or known by the buyer. Seller certifies and represents that seller knows of no such material, local government building code violations, unobservable defects, et cetera, other than the following blank. So here we are, Jeff talked about agency, was the fiduciary responsibility representing our seller and he's gonna sign making that he has not just had he has disclosed everything that he knows. Do you think we better prompt them on some of these things Absolutely. so we have a seller's property disclosure statement which is going to say specifically on the plumbing specifically on the electrical specifically on the surveying you know do you, are you aware of anything yes no unknown and then the seller signs that and then we include that in the loop and we also include it to the mls attachments so when a co cobro buyer agent is looking at writing an offer they can review our seller's disclosure and see that we've disclosed everything And
1: if I could jump in for just a minute on the seller's property disclosure, it's so important that they fill that out and they sign it and make the necessary disclosures. They're going to try to get you to fill it out. They're going to say, oh, we're friends. I've known you forever. You can fill it out. No, you do not. You do not put pen to paper on that.
0: No. When the judge says, ma'am, did you fill out this property disclosure? No, my agent did. Ding dong. You're in trouble. Compensation, there's some psychology here. Typically it's three and three. And typically, given a choice, a consumer would want the cheapest. So rather than giving a two, three, four option, we give a three, three and a half, four, five option. Five would be for vacant land if we, we can still charge 10% on vacant land often. So that's why. Some sellers want to pay more, so pay us three, but let's pay five percent to the selling broker. I want this thing sold fast you can mix it up. This is a change to FAR's listing agreement that we made ourselves, because I think it makes it easier when the seller sees there's no other option. Is it three, three and a half, four or five? Three, three and a half, four or five. How are you going to pay the listing broker? How are we going to pay the selling broker? That's a little trick of ours. Now this gets confusing to some customers and they strike it and there's no need to strike it. An option. cap. what's an option?
1: An option is generally uh, some type of consideration, some type of agreement, Uh, you're going to sell it for X amount of dollars uh, over a period of time, which is something outside of the actual agreement that we have. You'll see that a lot with uh, commercial. Um, And if the seller decides to do that, then we are entitled to 50% of that consideration that's for that option.
0: Yeah, so they could buy the option. I'm buying an option. Here's ten thousand bucks. I want the option to buy your house for three hundred thousand a year from now. Mm -hmm. All right. I don't know what it's gonna be worth a year from now. So I'm hedging my bet by buying an option. I'm eliminating my downside to ten thousand bucks. If the house is worth three fifty, I'm gonna exercise my option and you're gonna keep the ten thousand bucks. If the house is worth two fifty, I'm gonna walk away from my ten thousand bucks. And if I do that, the broker gets half of it because that's what it says. So they want to strike that sometimes, and it's simply because they don't understand it, Correct. right? You want me to get 50% of the option money because you want me to get as much option money as I could possibly get. But the seller says, well, I don't want to get an option, so I'm going to cross it. I can't stop it. I have to present all offers. If somebody makes me an offer that includes an option, I have to present it. And if you happen to like it, then I get paid. So I'm not striking that. Absolutely. Um, 10% of grossly value. I'm sorry. Go ahead. of gross lease value is at least I'm not leasing it, cross it out. I have to present all offers. If a baseball player comes in town and wants to rent your house for $10,000 a month and your mortgage is three, would you maybe consider that? If I get that offer, I have to present it to you. And if I get you $10,000 a month for a year, I want my piece, right? That's fair. Stand up for yourself
1: especially with super bowl seasons and things like that we see this all the time in tampa
0: there you go retain deposits they argue on this one too I don't, I don't make it i don't make it sound like they argue on these things a lot when they argue about us one they don't trust you two it doesn't happen often but when it does happen these are the things they argue about retain deposits we are entitled to 50 percent of all retained. who did the work of finding the buyer writing the offer negotiating the offer dealing with the follow-up doing it with the mortgages all that stuff to find out the day before closing that the buyer is not closing so the seller should be the only one enriched by receiving the deposit back no we get half they get half because the contract the purchase and sale contract between us and between the buyer and the seller says that if the listing broker retains any of the deposit they have to share it with the selling broker so every little action has a reaction and things are tied together So this is a state form, FAR, that is used by everybody in the state. And it's not oppressive. It's fair. It's very easy. No need to negotiate it. And then because of this listing agreement, which is the single, where is it? I changed the name. It's the exclusive right of sale listing agreement with consent to transition to transaction broker. I don't know. Put it on paper, sign and initials so I can present to the seller. Exactly. Jan Stern. If it were if items that were unknown in the property disclosure become known after the property is listed, must the owner amend? Yes. If they refuse to, then what? Then you are forced to disclose. Because you're you're part of this deal too. So they can amend the disclosure or we can walk away from the transaction. Because if they give us loyalty, if we have loyalty and obedience to them, which we do in a single agency capacity, I don't want you to disclose this. That would be considered illegal. And we would have to walk away from the transaction. Where was it? Okay. So this is single agency with consent to transition to transaction broker. So this explains the single agent notice which you learned in real estate school. This explains the consent to transition to transaction broker. And then this explains what the transaction broker is, and then there's room for special considerations, and we sign, and it's really simple. Make sense? All right. That's it. I mean, I'm not. I can read all this. I just pointed out the important things. I hope it's a good way for you to learn and feel comfortable. But I really just want you to feel confident in explaining it. That's kind of the goal there. So we covered the listing package. All the forms are right there for you, except you might want to, in certain situations, add in HOA, lead-based paint, et cetera. Then we talked about the listing intake form, which I just think is a brilliant way to make sure you don't forget anything. And whether you use a PA or not, it just makes it easier for you to do. Okay? And then your homework tonight is to actually read this listing agreement, because your customer's some will read it, and you should know every word of it but i've I've taught this class for years and years and years and i watch your eyeballs go and you want to die (laughs) so i'm not going to do that to you okay we're going to go back to 240. okay we're good all right we're going to go to contract documents remember the contract now is an agreement either you're the this is important whether you're the listing agent or the buyer's agent, your review of the contract is critical. Right. So there's no excuses. So you've got to know the critical dates and stuff. So we're going to go through the contract intake form. Which is going to be very, very, very similar. Right. Who are we representing the seller or the buyer? Is it an as is contract or a regular contract? Kat, I don't know, there's no real right or wrong. Which one do you prefer?
1: Well, you know, for me, depending on the seller's circumstances, most of the time I I really prefer the regular one because there's more skin in the game, there's more commitment, and there's less opportunity to just walk away because maybe you didn't like the way inspection went or maybe you've changed your mind, you don't like the color in the bathroom or so forth. Uh, As is, It's very doable, the sticky point that comes up with as-is contracts is when we have repairs that come up during inspections and as-is means as-is, however, if the seller is motivated and wants to sell the house and you have some material issues that come up, the plumbing, the electric, uh, foundation, roof, all these things and the type of loan that you're dealing with, when we are dealing with as-is contracts, if we get into repairs and addendums, we are reopening the contract. So for my own personal preference, I go with the regular one. What's your preference?
0: Uh, I, I, similar to you. I mean, the as is contract is easier, right? But you have to understand that the buyer can walk for any reason whatsoever. All right. The problem I have with the as is contract is it's used improperly by people to make offers and then to come back and ask for repairs which is not right in my opinion. If you give me an as is offer at 275 and I accept that, I accepted an as is offer at 275. If you come back and ask for $5,000 worth of repairs, I'm going to tell you to pound salt because I considered your offer at 275 as is. Or I'm going to raise the price to you to 280 just to be a jerk because you're not playing by the rules. Now The regular contract that doesn't have as-is is is more onerous on the parties, and it really is. Well, first of all, in the as-is contract, the buyer does not need to get a home inspector. They can inspect it themselves, which means they can have no skin in the game whatsoever. The as-is contract can be used to simply tie up a property for seven to 10 days and then cancel it, right? So you can have a buyer that is choosing between this house and this house on two different streets put a contract, an as-is contract on both of them, take them both off the market, and then on day six say, we're gonna cancel this one, keep this one. It's just, all of those things can and do happen with the as-is contract. The regular contract requires a licensed home inspector, which will require payment. Then the home inspector, then the buyer has to get involved and look at what's warranted items that need to be in, in, in working condition then the buyer has to present a list to the seller of what needs to be repaired. And if the repairs, then the seller has to, has time to go get estimates of what it's going to cost to repair those items. And then if the cost to repair those items exceeds the repair limit in the contract, then either party can cancel or either party can walk away. Right? So that's, that's, a, that's two pages of the contract right there and that's for warranted items for wood destroying organisms and for permit related activity. Okay? So those three things have repair limits. Now you can accomplish a lot. Cuz here's the deal. The house is under contract. It comes in with $3,000 for repairs. I got a $2,500 repair allowance. I also have a backup for 285 more money. The buyer comes and says, "Hey, my repairs are 3 grand. You got to pay the 3 grand not the 2500 as a seller i could say no i'm not paying any more cuz i got a backup i'd rather you walk away but the buyer could pay the extra 500 and keep his position in the contract right that's a real nuance that people don't get conversely um what would be the converse of that so the buyer so the buyer pays the extra money and keeps the house or this it could be the seller pays it the buyer wants to cancel and the seller says no i'll pay the extra money i want you staying in this deal you can't cancel for stupid little reasons but that's where that comes in so all you're doing here is telling your assistant who we represent you can as is a regular contract fill out the sellers and buyers information property address you can read all that included and excluded items right this is important for the draft door right So this is where I want you to have meaningful conversation. If it's not in the contract, Kat called it earlier, the statute of frauds says that for for something to be enforceable in a real estate contract, it must be in writing. So if the seller, the buyer buddy up and start talking, they say, well, we'll leave the pool cleaning equipment and all that stuff, where does it go? Pool cleaning equipment and all that stuff gets put into included items on the contract between the buyer and the seller
1: right
0: Right. so now listing agent is going to see that they're going to communicate hey are you okay leaving the well honey i thought we were taking that with us No, i told the buyers they could have it okay fine i don't care what the answer is but i want it in writing um excluded items
1: and chandelier make sure it's in there
0: Yeah. so let's go to the contract two so again, I just have it open. Let's go to the regulars as is. So when you're looking at the contract itself, this is your included and excluded items. This is your name, address, and the serial number, and all that stuff. Then you get your purchase price and all those things. So all you're doing here is, you know, literally it's uncomfortable having the buyer or seller look over your back while you're doing this stuff. So I'd take them to Starbucks, get a cup of coffee. And so let me just fill this out with you. And then say, "Now, what specifically included do you want? Now in the contract itself, you need to learn this. Um, personal property. Okay, wait a minute. The real property, legal description is this together with all existing improvements and fixtures. So think of a fixture as being attached to the wall. Think of the swing mount TV bracket is affixed to the wall. The TV is hung on the bracket. The TV is personal property. The bracket is a fixture. At least that's the common legal position right now. And now most houses have wall mounted TVs. So the wall mount is something you want to address. It's considered a fixture.
1: Correct. Anything with two screws that's affixed into a wall, ceiling, floor is a fixture.
0: So together with all improving existing improvements and fixtures, including built in appliances, built in furnishings, and attached to wall to wall carpeting and flooring, unless specifically excluded in paragraph one e below and then personal properties included as well. Unless excluded in paragraph one e below or by other terms of this contract, the following items which are owned by the seller, big important word there, owned, because a lot of people have lease systems in their house. What can you lease? You can lease a water softener, mm-hmm. right? So it's very easy to walk through the house and oh, the garage, look, there's a water softener, great. And you gotta find out if it's owned by the seller. And, and existing on the property as of the date of the initial offer are included in the purchase. Ranges, ovens, refrigerators, plural. So you might wanna get really clear, is that garage refrigerator stay or go? Or Dishwashers, like disposal, ceiling fans, intercom, light fixtures, plural. Drapery rods and draperies, blinds, window treatments, smoke detectors, garage door opener, security gate, and other access devices and storm shutters or panels are all considered personal property and are included. if I jump
1: in for one second? This stuff is not nitpicky like we would think it would be. I've had situations at closings where I had sellers. uh, Craig will remember these two. They were darlings. We, We call them TC. Uh, they didn't want to give up the clickers. They, th- they said the gate clickers didn't go with the property and they were going to kill a closing over that. Well, they had to give up the gate clickers. I had to follow them to their new house and go get the gate clickers. Uh, I've had situations where on listings and I was on the buyer's agent side, the seller decided to change out the ceiling fans without telling her agent. And all the ceiling fans are different when we go back in to do measurements. The old ceiling fans had to go right back up or you're gonna to have to give credit for those ceiling fans. Uh, I've had situations walk through where a seller had locked the dog in a spare bedroom and the blinds were torn up in a corner of the carpet. And they would leave it that way and do the walk through and we find that. Well, guess what? They had to make good on that. I mean, these things really in real life can become thorns in your side as a listing agent or a buyer's agent. So you've gotta have those conversations.
0: Yep. And that's what this is. This is the value that we bring to the transaction. And this is the value you're going to get by listening into our huddles. Because as we learn these experiences, we share them as a group. And then collectively, the collective genius is expanded. As we go through it. So it's very cool. So this is it. Purchase price and closing. I mean, guys, this is fill in the blank. Homework tonight. Read this entire contract too, including the standards, which I usually do a contract thing every Friday. We break into different pieces of it. So I'm not getting super in depth, but this is who's the escrow agent. Let's be clear. Kat is the escrow agent, the same as the closing agent.
1: No, no. It's whoever's holding the money.
0: So here's the way we do it. It used to be, and if you're recently licensed, you remember the real estate school talks about brokers holding escrow. Your broker does not hold escrow. We own a title company. Our title company holds the escrow for us. They're not subject to chapter 475. They're subject to their own rules. So we are not the escrow agent. So our title company has agreed to be our escrow agent whenever necessary. But if you know who the closing agent is going to be, go ahead and let the escrow agent be the closing agent. There's no need for us to give $10,000 paramount title, then deposit it in the bank, sit on it, and then release it to XYZ title for closing. We'd rather not do that as a pain in the butt. But we'd rather you check paramount title as your title agent, and then it all goes to one place and it's real easy. And we know the address, right? Absolutely. Time for acceptance. This is a negotiation point. So this and initial deposit, two things I wanted to specifically bring up. These are negotiation points. Jeff asked me to talk about the perfect offer. Perfect offer is above full price, 100% of the earnest money in escrow, of the purchase price in escrow, closing as soon as a seller wants it with zero contingencies, right? Anything less than that is not perfect, right? And can be countered. So coming in with a $1,000 earnest money deposit, in my opinion, is not as grand as a $10,000 deposit, which one shows me more intent on purchasing a thousand or 10,000. Even though it's 000. even though it's an this contract to get it all back. If you cancel anyway, put your best foot forward and, and make a good earnest money contract. Now this additional deposit, I wish all of our agents would sharpen up on this. At the end of your inspection period, whatever is five, seven, 10 days. Make it day six, eight, or eleven, get an additional deposit. Right? If you're going FHA on a 250 house, three and a half percent is like 10 grand. Get 10 grand. That means because if they say they've gone through their inspections, they're happy with it, get some additional deposit. And there's really, there's nothing wrong with a 10% deposit on a purchase and sale contract. It keeps deals together, guys and it'll get offers accepted over other offers.
1: Well, and if I could jump in real quick too, lenders want to see those reserves, especially with COVID-19, they're asking for it. They want to see it because it shows their strength in income to debt ratios. i talk to lenders all the time about this and they really want to make sure buyers have some reserves. It makes a big difference on in the interest rate they're going to pay, points they have to pay down and so forth. So having that extra money in there means a lot. Good.
0: All right, so that's this intake form, included exit, purchase price, and this, all that stuff's on page one. Is the property leased, end of the lease date? Um, home warranty, yes or no, are you one? My general rule is, if you're writing the offer for the buyer, request the seller provide a home warranty. They'll accept it half the time. Uh, repair limits, when we get to the regular contract, we talk about repair limits, there's just a bunch of blanks. And this contract, pay very close attention to these words, this contract, if you have a blank, assigns a value. So 1.5% if left blank would be the repair limit. So imagine a $500,000 house, one and a half percent of 7,500 bucks times three different events, that's $23,000, $22,000, $21,500 worth of obligated expenses. The seller has to pay if there's problems, right? So you don't want to just leave blanks. You want to put in $500, $250, $1,000, some limit. But honestly, you shouldn't have to deal with this at all because you should have had the home inspected before you put it on the market. And Devonta, yes, I will get to your clause. Um, That's your repair limits. Um, Who's paying the transaction fee? How'd you get the lead? Additional terms, additional addenda to be included. Form complete, contract done. All right, it is 2.56. We're supposed to have a five-minute break. Rejoin at three, where I'm going to jump into a little bit more on the contract, but then we're really going to focus in on the critical day timeline, which is going to make you a ninja rock star.